0: This reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to chapter 2, verse 5. Now I rejoice in my sufferings sufferings for your sake, and my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I become a minister according to stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hey, good morning, church. Um, It's good to be back here. Um, It's good to be back in Northern Ireland. It's like rare you get slagged off in the prayer straight away. Like John knows me and knows I don't have the wisdom. The rest of you, I was hoping to fool for a little while at least. Um, it's it's great to be back. Before we before we get started there, um, so I can try and get maybe my emotional response to being back here out of the way early. Um, my wife and I spent five years uh, as youth pastors up at the top of the Shenkel uh, and uh, arrived at Village uh, just by walking through the front door of Luke and Sue's house and. Uh, arrived there tired and exhausted and a little bit burnt out from that ministry. And uh, Village looked very different at that time. There was only about 15 or 20 of us meeting in their living room. Um, we all still showed up late, so that was encouraging to see that's still happening. Um, <laughs> but um, in Village, we found a, a, a home and a family and a place where we could grow and flourish in the gospel um, we found community and friends, and it has been, uh, we've been gone for four years, and it has been just such an encouragement for us to be able to watch from a distance and see the amazing things that God has been doing in and through this church. Um, we were here last Sunday, and we were over at South, and we were able to see uh, this multiplication of this church that... Uh, Luke and I chatted about it, I don't even think that we could have imagined that that was something that would have happened, that God would do through this church. Uh, And I I say that to begin with this morning because it's easy, I think, as you guys sit in this Uh, kind of right in the middle of it uh, and and very close to everything that's happening here uh, to maybe not really appreciate all of the things that have happened just because you're so close to it Um, but know that for those of us who sit a little bit further at a distance um, the work of God in this church uh, is seen and powerful and encouraging Uh, and so we're so thankful for you guys it's good to be back here again this morning uh, we're going to be in that passage from Colossians. So let me pray one more time uh, and then we'll jump into it. Uh, Jesus, uh, we need you to, to soften our hearts and open our ears so that we can uh, hear from you. Um, you are the one that changes lives and transforms hearts. And so uh, would you help me get out of the way of what you're going to say through this this morning? Um, would you speak through your word? Would you help us be more like you uh, through the process of your sanctifying our hearts? Jesus, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. I am I'm continually amazed at the way that God uses Scripture to speak into the events of our lives, like in relevant ways, over and over and over again. Um, and our church, the church that I work at in Reston, Virginia, is very similar to, uh, to Village. We... Uh, typically just pick a book of the Bible and walk through that book of the Bible and, and talk about whatever we run into. So if we hit something that is, uh, is encouraging, then we talk about what's encouraging. If we hit something that's hard, then we talk about what's hard. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, uh, we hit this passage from Colossians, and as I was preparing for that sermon back in Reston, um, really felt uh, that God had just in his grace and in his wisdom uh, and his great love for the church had, had not just given this passage for our church in Reston, but had also given us this passage for, for Village Today. Um, and I say that because uh, the story of our church in Reston is a story of a church that's 3,000 miles away from you here, but a, a church that is walking through um, significant uh, experiences of suffering Um, On an individual basis and on a collective basis as a church, we love one another and we suffer together. Um, And so as I considered all of the things that that Village is facing, uh, whether that's just from uh, in some ways saying gospel goodbyes to friends who have been in this building with you for years and sending them to another part of the city, the the kind of suffering and sadness that goes along with with gospel goodbyes. and, as I considered the, the the journey that Lucas and Sue and their family are about to walk through uh, in, in their in their fight with cancer um, and even just this week, as i 've sat down with Lucas and with Andrew and with John and some of the other guys here at the church and heard stories of the things that are happening in this church, it just became increasingly um, convinced that that God has something for both of our churches in this passage from Colossians. And so uh, as we as we go through this, uh, I, I've just been encouraged by the way that God speaks through his word, um, because I, I know that there are probably some of you in this room this morning who are currently sitting in some experience of suffering. Um, you're, you're walking through that right now. Or, or maybe you've been through a season of suffering in your past, and you've journeyed through that and maybe you've come through that and, and been able to see the, the hope of the gospel in that suffering or maybe you, you've come through that and you still are struggling to understand why you went through that. Maybe you, you haven't been through a season of suffering yet and my, my word to you just be like just hold on a bit because it's probably coming. Uh, if you live long enough it's going to happen. And so as we look through this text, we're gonna, we're gonna hear the Apostle Paul speaking to us and, and he's gonna open this up by saying, I'm rejoicing in my suffering. And he's not just saying that as an empty uh, statement. Paul is a, is a man who, is, who experienced Uh, immense amounts of suffering because of his faith. He was a man who who was beaten and flogged and uh, thrown into prison. He had like a, a mob of people that would just follow him from place to place, rioting when he would preach the gospel. And then they'd throw him into prison again. And so Paul is a man who knows a thing or two about suffering. And he's a man who can speak to what it means to suffer well and to have our suffering shaped by the gospel. And so as we look at this this morning, my hope is that as we journey through uh, suffering, as we encounter suffering, that we would do that with a a gospel-shaped lens, uh, a lens that that views our suffering through uh, what Jesus has to say about who he is and what he has done and how that changes our life and our experiences of suffering. Um, Because I think... Our temptation most of the time, at least for me, when we encounter suffering, I don't know that our temptation is to do what Paul does and to rejoice in suffering. I think most of the time our temptation in suffering is to either just try to avoid it entirely or when we're in the middle of it to try and escape from it as quickly as possible or to just hide it, to just like push it down deep down inside of us. Uh, Don't let anybody see it. I'm just going to push it down deep down inside of us and then one day I'll die and And that's our plan for how we engage with suffering. And so my hope this morning is as we look at what Paul has to say to us that you'll be encouraged by the knowledge that even in your suffering, there's hope to be found in the gospel. You'll be encouraged not in your ability to get through your suffering on your own strength or to... Just will your way through this or to to hide it and mask it so that when people say, hey, how's it going, and you just kind of go, ah, it's good, but deep down inside, you're really feeling kind of busted up. My hope is that rather than doing that, that we would look to Jesus, that we would find hope in the gospel, and and that what we would see through this text is that uh, what Paul leads us to see is that Jesus brings meaning to and maturity from our suffering, so that's, that's the big idea this morning. If you, if you want to walk away with, with one thing uh, this morning, Jesus brings meaning to and maturity from our suffering. And there's great hope to be found in that. So that's what we're going to look at. Let me, let's, let's start with verse 24. I'm just going to work through a few verses here and, and we'll, we'll talk about them. So verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And before we can get past that, we just have to stop and acknowledge that Paul just said three really weird things. Yeah? Paul, he's he's saying three very strange things here. First, he says that he rejoices in his suffering, which is just, like, we can just say it's a strange thing to say. Like, that's a weird thing to say. I don't know how often you guys incur, encounter suffering and then you are just like joyful about it and rejoice in it maybe you're maybe you're a better Christian than I am and that's your <laughs> response but I think for the most of us like we we don't rejoice in suffering I don't I, has anybody ever told someone that they should just rejoice in their suffering no probably not because they're going to hit you really hard and you're going to have to try and figure out how to rejoice in your suffering and that's a lot harder to do than it sounds so this rejoicing in our suffering is a strange thing for Paul to say. It's a strange way for him to begin this section. And then he says, but I think the important thing that he said in seeing him say that is that Paul's not hiding his suffering. Right? He's not putting a good face on and trying to make it seem like everything's okay. He's being really honest. He's saying, hey, I, 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 am, I am suffering and I'm rejoicing. And, and that's confusing and that's Okay. Paul's saying something that's complicated. It's a confusing statement. I rejoice in my suffering. And then Paul says that the suffering that he's experiencing is for the sake of this church. And this is a church that Paul's never been to before. Paul's never visited this church. Paul planted a lot of churches. This is not one of the ones that he planted. He's writing a letter to them. So he's never been to this church, but he's saying that in some way, the suffering that he's experiencing and his rejoicing in that suffering has benefit for this church. So again, it's a little confusing, but what Paul is doing here. Uh, is, is continuing a thought that he had in just the, the, the few verses just before this. So, in the verses before this, Paul uh, outlines the the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ in, in beautiful and poetic language. It's a it's an ancient hymn that he uses to, to to set up Jesus and lift up Jesus as the one who is supreme and sufficient in all things. Paul says in the verses before this. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the one through whom all things were created and for whom all creation exists. That Jesus existed before anything was created and Jesus is the one who holds all creation together. And so as the one who is supreme and sufficient over all things, your suffering is included in those all things. Jesus is supreme and sufficient for all things, and your suffering is included in that. And so Paul lifts Jesus up in this text and says he is supreme and sufficient. And then what he's going to do in these next few verses is take that theory, that kind of head knowledge, and and apply it in a very practical sense and and use an example from his own life to show what that looks like. What does it look like for Jesus to be supreme and sufficient even in your sufferings? And so the benefit that this church has from, from Paul's sufferings is their ability to look at Paul and go, this is what it looks like to suffer well in the gospel. So it's confusing and it's hard to understand, but this is where Paul is going. He's saying that his ability to rejoice in suffering flows out of the knowledge that Jesus is supreme and sufficient for all things. And that we can look at how Paul interacts with his suffering and get a picture of how that knowledge of the supreme and sufficient Savior works its way into the everyday aspects of our life. And we can be transformed from hopelessness in our suffering to joy. Not necessarily happiness, right? There's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. It's temporary. It's based on what is happening in that moment. It's the same root word, happiness and happening. Joy is a, a deep undercurrent of peace and rest and, not, and, and knowing the Savior who is supreme and sufficient over all things. So there's great benefit to be had, Paul says, and seeing his interaction with suffering, and then he says, "What I think is probably the most confusing piece of this whole thing—that his suffering is somehow filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the church." I. This is when I when I got tagged to preach this text like I said we just kind of work through passages Um, and I'm the associate pastor where we're at the lead pastor preaches most of the time and I jump in every six weeks or so and I think he just intentionally tags me for really complicated passages that he doesn't want to work through so this is a hard one and and so we have to figure out what are we going to do with this because it sounds like what Paul is saying that somehow Jesus' suffering on the cross wasn't enough and that he's having to do more work to fill up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions and so we had to do something we can't, we can't, I mean, we could just maybe read fast and pretend that that's not there. Um, but I think a better way of, of interacting with this text, and just confusing texts in general, is to take when you, so just to step out for a minute, just in general, if you're reading your Bible, if you're a Christian, if you're non-Christian, as you read your Bible, there will be moments where you hit passages that are really confusing um, and, and difficult to understand. And and in those moments, what we need to do is to not form a theological base on the one confusing text that we've bumped into, but take that confusing text to the or the unclear passage that we're running into to the more clear passages that speak to the thing and interpret this confusing text through the more clear text. Does that make sense? Yeah? You guys are super quiet. <laughs> um, we, used to, uh, we, have, we have a couple of people in our church who just sit right in this area, and they're like, Praise breaking through the whole sermon. That's I'm I'm not used to the silence. Um, so what do we do with this? What do we do with this confusing text that 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 Paul, this confusing statement that Paul makes? We we take this to the clearer text. So what do we know from scripture about Jesus' suffering? Jesus, when when Jesus dies on the cross, Jesus himself says, he says, Father, forgive them. And then he right before he dies, he says what? It's finished. Thanks, Luke. It's finished. Jesus himself says that everything that was necessary. So so Paul can't be speaking about our salvation, right? So he's not saying that there's something lacking in the work that Jesus did for our salvation. Because Jesus himself says it's finished. Everything that was necessary for your salvation and for my salvation was finished in the cross. Everything that was needed for us to be made right with God was done in the cross. Jesus died in our place for our sins. And everything that it was necessary to bring us to God was done in that moment. And in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, all of Scripture is fulfilled. All of the promises of God are fulfilled. And all of our, and all of our, uh, all of our salvation is paid for. So Jesus himself says, Paul, and, and even if you look at what Paul just said, like we said in those passages before this, Jesus is supreme and sufficient for all things. So Paul can't be saying that like, there's something lacking in Jesus' Jesus's death on the cross or in his suffering because he's already said he's supreme and sufficient for all things. So Paul doesn't even think that's what it is. So we can't form our conclusion based on the confusion of that. And then if we look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, Peter says that Jesus suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That, that all things were done, all of the suffering that Jesus did on the cross was, nece- was, was perfect and necessary for us to be brought and made right with God. And I like Peter because he, says this other, he makes this other statement uh, talking about Paul in 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3 verse 15 and 16, Peter says this about Paul. It says, Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all of his letters. Paul wrote to you in great wisdom that was given to him, inspired, inspired word of God. And and there are some things that Paul says, this is what Peter says, there are some things in those letters that are hard to understand. The the ignorant twist their own destruction. Peter says, I've read Paul's writing. I've read the things that he's written to you. And Paul's a smart guy. And there's things that Paul says that are hard to understand. So when we get to this passage that seems unclear, that seems hard to understand, if, you have, if you're struggling to understand it, you're in good company. Peter, Peter mis- didn't understand everything Paul said either. Peter spent three years with Jesus, and he still struggled to understand what Paul was saying sometimes. And, and honestly, when it comes to a passage that's talking about suffering, it makes sense to me that it's a little confusing It makes sense to me that what Paul is saying is complicated because suffering is complicated. Suffering isn't easy or straightforward. And I think most of the time suffering does more to open up open us up to more questions than it does to answer questions. Suffering is never straightforward and i think when we encounter suffering in our lives most often what happens is rather than feeling really settled in that place we begin asking questions we go why has this happened to me why has this person done this to me why am i in this place because suffering is confusing and suffering is complicated the so first thing if we think about how jesus Uses our suffering to, brings meaning to and maturity from our suffering. The first thing we just have to wrestle with is that suffering is confusing. Suffering is complicated. It's not easy or straightforward. And it's okay to admit that. It's okay to show up to a community of believers and go, this is really difficult, this is hard. It's, that's the mature movement when you're in suffering. The mature movement when you're in suffering is not to do what we typically do and just kind of mask it and hide it from people. And we're not trying to lie. We're just trying to be polite, right? We don't want to burden people with our problems. That's, that's the, the, the way that we typically interact with that. The mature response is not to hide our suffering, but to do what Paul is doing here and, and go, I'm suffering and it's complicated. To be able to say with, with assurance that it's complicated and, I, and suffering's complicated for a lot of reasons. When I was when I was looking over um, things to in preparation for this sermon, I, I found this blog that was just listing um, all of the different ways that we might suffer as Christians. And, and and the person that wrote the blog had like 14 different causes for suffering uh, that we might encounter. I, I didn't, I'm not going to go through all these, but uh, sometimes the suffering we experience is just a result of living in a fallen and broken world, right? We all can trace our lineage, our, our beginning back to Adam. And and because of Adam's rebellion against the God of creation, sin enters into the world and creation is, is broken. And so as a result of sin, we live in a fallen and broken world. And as fallen people in a broken world, we experience sickness and death and suffering as a natural result of that fall. Sometimes the suffering we experience is demonic in nature. And so when we when we talk about spiritual warfare, this is this is what we're talking about. We have an enemy who is actively opposed to the working of God's kingdom in this world. And, and there are moments where we encounter the the suffering that comes from spiritual warfare. And our our tendency in those moments or, or the temptations moments is to is to, is to be fearful. And the encouragement that we have from the gospel in that is that Jesus has already overcome our enemy. And so rather than our hearts being led into fear and doubt, we can rest in confidence in our Savior. Sometimes the suffering we experience just comes from being victims of sin. Right? Over and over again, the narrative that we're seeing played out, at least in America, is a narrative of young children and women being victimized by the sin of men. These young people and women who have just been made victims because of the sin of another person. So sometimes the suffering we experience is because of sin in the life of another person. Sometimes we suffer collectively. We suffer as a family. We suffer as as church. So as Lucas and Sue walk through this journey, they don't suffer alone right? You, you guys are, we, we say all the time at Village that church is, church is family, right? That's our hashtag over and over and over again. So we suffer together as a family. Sometimes we suffer uh, just as a consequence of our own sinfulness or foolishness. Uh, that's been my story over and over and over again, just like being a bit foolish, being a bit sinful, and then God's corrective measure in that moment is to allow me to suffer a little bit so that I might be woken up from my foolishness. And in those moments, it's not God being angry at me. It's God in his love going, the suffering that you are experiencing in this moment as a corrective is far less than the suffering that, that your sin is gonna lead you into in the future. It's God's grace to allow us to suffer in those moments as a consequence of our sin so that we can move away from our sinful or foolish behavior. Sometimes, the suffering we experience is God's discipline for us. Sometimes the suffering we experience is a result of persecution. Um, I was reading uh, an article. There's a, a pastor in Turkey um, who earlier this year was thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. Um, we were at, that, at the time that all of this was happening, we were preaching through the first uh, three chapters of Revelation. So we were preaching about this church in Smyrna. Uh, that Jesus writes to. And Jesus writes to that church in Smyrna and he just has words of encouragement for them because they're a suffering church. And he says that, that people are gonna spread false rumors about uh, this church and they're gonna suffer tribulation. And uh, the next week I heard about this pastor who'd been thrown into prison uh, and the town that he was living in was modern day Smyrna. And he was thrown into prison because of false accusations um, because of his faith. And so sometimes the suffering we experience is, is persecution because of our faith. Sometimes the suffering you experience is something that God is allowing to happen to you so that the gospel can be demonstrated in the world around you. So when you think about the story of Joseph in Genesis, and uh, if you don't know that story, Joseph, uh, his brothers didn't like him. Joseph was a little bit cocky. He kept having these dreams about how his brothers were gonna bow down to him, and uh, they didn't like that, so they decided to kill him, and then they softened on that and just threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. Um, and then, so he gets sold into slavery, in slavery, gets falsely accused, thrown into prison, thinks he's going to get out of prison for a minute, and then, no, he stays in prison for a little while longer. But uh, eventually, he's, he's brought out of that place and raised into a position of authority in Egypt so that, so that many lives were saved, both physically from starvation. There's a famine that came through, and because of Joseph's leadership, they were able to survive that, but also spiritually because many people worshiped Yahweh. And so even Joseph in that narrative would say, the things that you meant for evil, God meant for good, right? And so there's an element of suffering in our lives that can happen that God will allow to happen so that the gospel can be demonstrated as a testimony to the world around us. And sometimes suffering is just mysterious. Sometimes it's just difficult and, and no matter how hard we try to understand it, we just can't discern why this is happening to us. And we may not ever understand it on this side of eternity. We know in part and we see in part. Sometimes it's just mysterious. And and so there's all these different types of suffering and none of these are mutually exclusive, right? You could have, have multiple of these things happening all at the same time and in the confusion and in the complication that comes from that, because suffering is complicated, our tendency is to ask one not-so-helpful question. Our tendency in that moment is to ask, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this person doing this to me? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? And... It, and it's not helpful to ask a why question because when we begin to ask why questions, what we end up doing is placing our, placing our understanding of life and placing ourselves at the center of life and of ultimately putting Jesus on trial before the jury of our limited understanding. We take Jesus out of the center of our lives and we put us at the center and that's why we ask why. Why would this happen to me? So my hope that is, we continue to walk through this this morning, is that rather than, when we encounter suffering, maybe maybe rather than asking why, we can begin to ask a better question. And maybe that question would be what? What or how? What might Jesus be doing in this? How might Jesus use this for his glory and my good? How, How might I... Serve others more fully because of this. So rather than asking why, we can ask what. And and, and my hope for us is that we begin to lead our hearts in trusting Jesus deeply enough that the ambiguous whys of our suffering are drowned out by the overwhelming what that Jesus will do with our suffering. Rather than asking why, we might find great peace and joy in knowing what Jesus will do with our suffering. That We might find great peace and joy in knowing that Jesus speaks into our suffering. As, and as he does that, he brings meaning to and maturity from our suffering. And so there's a few ways that I want us to see this as we continue to walk through this. And the first way that I think that Jesus, we see Jesus bringing meaning and maturity from suffering that Paul speaks to here... It's because suffering seen through the lens of the gospel matures you for greater ministry. Suffering seen through the gospel matures you for greater ministry. Look at verse 24. I'll start in verse 24, and we'll read through 26 again. Now, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. In Acts nine, we have the story of how, Paul, how Jesus saved Paul, right Paul, if you aren't familiar with his story, uh, was a devout Jew who was uh, really bent on trying to uh, persecute the, the church. He was traveling around, throwing Christians into prison, holding coats for people while they stoned them to death. And, and Jesus shows up and has a, a conversation with Paul and saves Paul, uh, transforms his life immensely. And built into that story in Acts chapter nine, Jesus says something really important about what Paul's ministry is gonna look like. He says this, he says that, G, that he's gonna show Paul how much he must suffer for his namesake. And so, for Paul, built into his ministry is this knowledge that there is an inherent suffering that comes just from being a minister of the gospel. That the suffering that he is seeing in his, in his own life and the suffering that we encounter in our lives is just normative for what it means to be a minister of the gospel. And, and if you're going to grow in maturity and, 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 and finding purpose and meaning in your suffering, an important part of this point of seeing Suffering as a normative part of ministry is knowing and understanding that if you are a believer in Jesus this morning, you are a minister of the gospel. A minister of the gospel, a minister of Jesus, is just somebody who is serving Jesus. And so if you are a believer this morning, if you claim Jesus as your Savior, you are a minister of the gospel. And what Paul would say that that ministry that has been given to you, a part of that, a normative part of that ministry is suffering. The suffering is a normative part of what it means to be a ministry. Now, here's what that means for us today. Here's the encouraging part. What Paul is doing here is not hiding his suffering. He's sharing his suffering with these people because he knows that your suffering, your place of greatest suffering, is also your place for greatest ministry. Your greatest ministry comes out of your deepest pain. If you have walked through seasons of depression and anxiety, you are uniquely equipped to minister to and love and care for people who have walked through seasons of depression and anxiety. If you have known the the loneliness of longing for a spouse, for a husband or for a wife, and you've not found that, then you are uniquely equipped to minister to those people who are in that place as well. If you have known the the heartache of losing a child or not being able to have children, you are uniquely equipped to be able to minister and care for and love people who are in that place. If you've journeyed through cancer or through sickness, Your suffering in those moments is a place of your greatest ministry. You're uniquely equipped to be able to come alongside and empathize with and strengthen and encourage your brothers and sisters or other people around you in your life who don't know Jesus yet and offer them the gospel in a way that you would not have been able to had you not walked through that suffering. Jesus takes our suffering and he uses it to mature us for ministry. It's not wasted. The suffering that we encounter in life is not a wasted experience. Nothing gets wasted in the economy of Jesus. He takes those things and he uses them for your good and his glory and the service of his church. The worst part of your life is the best place for your ministry. And So the hope that the gospel brings to us in our moments of suffering is knowing that Jesus will use our suffering to mature us for ministry. It adds purpose to those moments of confusion. It adds hope to those moments of, of, of not knowing what this is about and where this is going to. So rather than asking, why is this happening? We can ask, what might you use this for? The gospel brings meaning to our suffering by maturing us for greater ministry. Second way that Jesus, that I think we can see Jesus bringing meaning to and maturity from our suffering in this text, is that Jesus matures you by deepening your dependence on Him. Suffering in our suffering, we become deeply dependent on Jesus. C.S. Lewis in his book The Problem of Pain says that pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, He speaks to us in our conscience, but He shouts to us in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, our tendency is to walk through life believing that it's up to us to muster up the strength inside of us to be able to suffer well, that, that we somehow have to like pull ourselves up by our bootstraps In life, and it's only in the moments when we just are broken down and we've got nothing left to give and no strength of our own left that we realize we don't have boots to pull ourselves up by in the first place, and we have to have a strength from outside of ourselves. And for Paul, the only source of strength that is sufficient for this is Jesus. Jesus will use those moments to grow and mature us by deepening our dependence on him. That's why God tells Paul in, in, in 2 Corinthians, he says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. It's not my power is made perfect when you're super strong and doing great. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And it's why Paul says in verses 28 and 29 here that in his suffering, he proclaims Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. Not my own energy. Paul's not struggling by his own strength. He's not just a super strong dude. He's struggling with the energy of Jesus. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me, that Jesus powerfully works within him. See, for Paul, suffering was a normative part of what it meant to be a minister of Jesus, and he found meaning and purpose in that suffering by understanding that Jesus was going to use that to mature him for greater ministry, to prepare him for greater ministry. But what he's saying here is that you can't do that on your own strength. You can't get by on your own strength. If you're going to grow in maturity as a servant of Jesus, even in your suffering, you're going to need a source of strength outside of yourself. And and for Paul, Jesus is the only one that's sufficient for that. and it, The reason that, that, it, that Jesus is the only power that's sufficient for that is because the power that Jesus works in us is resurrection power. The power that is at work in you is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and that is the power that we lean into in our moments of suffering so that Jesus can deepen us and deepen our dependence on him. And it's that strength that we cling to and depend on when we realize that all of our self-powered efforts just aren't enough to get us through the suffering that we're experiencing. Paul goes on to say that he's sharing his suffering with this church so that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom, in Jesus, are hidden All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all the treasures of understanding, when we find ourselves in suffering and we can't figure out why this is happening, that the understanding that we need is not for us to know why, but we need to know the one who does know why. And he says this so that we won't be deluded by plausible arguments, because that's what we do, right? When we find ourselves in suffering, we come up with all of these plausible arguments to help get us out of suffering. And and the reality is that the plausible arguments that I fall for most often are not the plausible arguments that somebody else might speak to me, but the plausible arguments that I speak to myself. I will believe my own... My own plausible arguments for how I can avoid or get out of suffering as quickly as possible way more than I'll believe the ones that anybody else will. And Paul says you don't need your understanding. You don't need the understanding of people around you who can give you great ways of escaping suffering. You need the strength of Jesus so that you can suffer well and endure the suffering knowing that he is going to use this to deepen your dependence on him. And we need to know that our hope in those moments is is not found simply in the relief from suffering, from escaping that suffering, but our hope is found in knowing that the one who is supreme and sufficient will be glorified in and through our suffering. That the one who is glorified in and through our suffering will one day glorify us as well. Here's how that brings maturity And meaning to our suffering, as we encounter suffering in our life, in those moments, rather than sinking into despair or doubt, the gospel reminds us of our hope. The gospel reminds us of our hope in Jesus, which is nothing less than the hope of glory. The hope that Jesus would be glorified even in our suffering. That's the mature response to suffering, is not to try and escape it, not to try and downplay it, not to try and avoid it, but to, but to find our greatest hope and our greatest desire in that Jesus would be glorified even in this. And that is a hope that doesn't disappoint because Jesus always gets the glory that he deserves. So he's saying this morning that every knee will bow, right? We get a head start on that, John said. I love that that every knee will bow. Jesus always gets the glory. And so when our hope is that Jesus would be glorified in our suffering, our hope is not built on something that's weak or meaningless, but it's built on the promise that that will be seen. So growth for us looks like walking through our suffering with our highest hope being that Jesus would be glorified through this. Not solely that we would be rescued from it, not solely that we would be able to avoid it, but that even in this moment, whatever your suffering is today, finding hope in it, that Jesus would be glorified and knowing confidently that Jesus will be glorified through your suffering. But that only happens when our entire existence is rooted in that deep dependence on Jesus for the ability to suffer well. Knowing confidently that Jesus is the one who provides strength and the energy to do this and that he will be glorified by this. The gospel and Jesus brings meaning to and maturity from our suffering by deepening our dependence on Jesus. Here's here's the last one that I want to look at this morning. The final way that the gospel brings meaning and maturity from our suffering is that in our in our in our suffering we are matured because we're being made more like Jesus. If you're a believer the Savior that you're following is not a Savior who is uninformed about suffering. If you're a believer, the Savior that you're following is the man of sorrows who is pierced for our transgressions. The, the, the Savior that you're following is the man who is mocked and beaten and spat upon, who is nailed to a cross and still bears the scars of those nails for eternity and promises us that there will be a day when the suffering that we experience will be a dim memory. And in our suffering, we get to identify uniquely and intimately with the Savior that we claim to follow. The great comfort that Paul finds in his own suffering and that we can find in our suffering is that when we suffer, we are being molded and shaped into the image of our Savior. Your identity is not in your suffering, your identity is in your Savior. Who suffered perfectly for you and who is with you in your suffering. And that passage from Revelation 2, when he was talking about the church in Smyrna, Jesus says to them that he knows their suffering. And the word that Jesus uses there is not just he's aware of their suffering, but he knows their suffering intimately. So um, there's a difference between acknowledging and knowing something, right? And experiencing something. Uh, my, my son, my wife and I have two kids. My oldest son, Ewan, he's five. When he was a year old, he began having seizures. He was diagnosed with epilepsy. We walked through a season of uh, lots of doctor's visits. But a, a time for us that was uh, filled with immense amounts of, of um, pain in watching him have those seizures uh, and fear over what that might mean for him. Uh, and in those moments, we had doctors and family and friends and church surround us who were massively helpful and encouraging for us. But one of the most encouraging things and helpful things for us was when people who also had children who had had seizures came alongside us and said, I know what you're going through. If there's a difference between acknowledging the suffering that people are going through and knowing it. And Jesus says, I don't just acknowledge your suffering, I know your suffering. You're not alone in your suffering. Jesus knows intimately what it is to be betrayed. Jesus knows intimately what it is to, to, to experience pain. He is the one who took on the likeness of man so that we could be made into the likeness of Christ. Christ. So our greatest hope is that we would look like our Savior. And the more we say, Jesus, I just want to look like you, the more intimately we have to get acquainted with suffering. But Jesus takes that and he uses that for our good and his glory and he uses it to shape and mold us into his image. And when our... When we are sh- shaped and molded more into the image of Christ, Jesus becomes more and more the center of all things for us. Jesus brings me- meaning and maturity from our suffering by making us more like him. I want to share uh, a story with you real quickly, and then we're going to wrap up. I have a cousin who, for most of her uh, adult life, has struggled with uh, addiction um, to alcohol and drugs. And, and that story of addiction uh, just ran rampant in her life and, and led to her arrest uh, and, and a jail sentence uh, that was suspended so that she could go and attend a recovery camp. And while she was at this recovery camp, Jesus saved her like in miraculous ways. Like You know those people who are like, the only way that you are this way is if Jesus saved you because it's just ridiculous that that could be anything else. That's the story of my cousin. Saved her miraculously at this camp she um, She was. Uh, she be- it was a two year long camp and over the course of those two years she began ministering to the people at that camp, serving there got out of the camp and began to kind of sort out this jail sentence that had been hanging over her head, showed up at the courthouse just to try and sort it out and they arrested her on the spot and threw her into prison uh, and so while she was in prison we wrote some letters back and forth um, and And I was encouraged because God used her in amazing ways while she was there. And and as I was thinking about this, one of the things she said in in her letter really resonated. And so this is what she wrote to me in her letter. As she's suffering in this prison for a crime that she did commit, but that Jesus had saved her from, she says, Praise God for this ministry of reconciliation. How Paul continued to encourage churches to rejoice after all he was enduring is just crazy. As I read a devotional about two months ago, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said that some things would only grow in this place, similar to some flowers only growing in darkness. So as much as the Lord may have me here for others, he also has me here to refine me as well. And at moments, it's felt like God was a million miles away, but one thing that he has been teaching me is how to rest in his love. The Lord is in this place, and I reckon he can use my faith to minister here. The gospel at work in her was bringing meaning to and maturity from her suffering. By maturing her for greater ministry, by deepening her dependence on Jesus, by shaping and molding her more and more into the image of Jesus. And so as we conclude this morning, as we move out of this time and move into a time of worship and of communion, we remember that the Savior that we follow is a Savior who is familiar with suffering, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed. And the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus working in us is a power that reassures us that there's great joy to be found Through suffering and knowing and trusting that in our experiences of suffering, we have a Savior who is familiar with that, who will use our suffering to mature us for a ministry and to deepen our dependence on him. So we remind ourselves that our joy comes to us through the suffering of Jesus. Through his broken body, through his shed blood, we experience great joy. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. And he took a cup and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you. This is the suffering, this is the cost of what it will mean for you to experience peace and joy. So if you're a believer this morning, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you have trusted Jesus for your salvation, then we would invite you to come and and break the bread, drink the wine, remember and celebrate and worship the Savior who suffered perfectly for you. If you're maybe you're here this morning and, and you're just kind of trying to feel this out and figure out who this Jesus is, um, if that's you, then then take this time to consider what Jesus is offering you. The Jesus is saying, if you're coming in here busted up and broken, you don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to pretend like that's not real. But I've I've done everything necessary to take the sin and give you my righteousness. And I'll take the suffering that you're experiencing and and add purpose and meaning and maturity to that. So wherever you find yourself in that moment, I'd encourage you to to worship the Savior who suffered perfectly so that we can find meaning and maturity from the suffering that we experience in this life as well. Let me pray. Jesus, you are greater than we can understand, or imagine. So we come to you, celebrating you, praising you, thanking you for your great love for us. And Jesus, just in this room, as we've talked about suffering, both the things that are obvious, the obvious aspects of suffering that are happening here at Village and, and maybe the things that are lying underneath the surface that we don't know about, Jesus, would you be present in those things? Would you speak into those things mightily? Father, I pray for Village. I pray for my friend Lucas, that you would work mightily in that situation and bring healing, that you would bring peace and joy even in the midst of that suffering but Jesus we pray most of all that you would be glorified through this time we love you Jesus and we pray this in your name